Hello and welcome to the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is Paul McMenemy. Unfortunately, your usual host, David Turner, isn't able to perform that duty today because he's one of the guests, along with Tom Bland and Jason Pilly. All three are well known on the London spoken word scene for their distinctive styles, but today we're going to be talking about performance. Gentlemen, can I ask you to introduce yourselves, please? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so, my name is David Turner, regular Lunar Poetry Podcaster and reviewer. Um, I am also a failed visual artist and occasional poet and short story writer. Um, outside of this almost imaginary world of poetry, I work in a bronze foundry in Limehouse in East London, which is actually relevant to my background, which is an art technician. I also co-host a spoken word evening with Lizzie Palmer called Silence Found a Tongue, which is also the launch event for each Lunar Poetry magazine issue. And these nights take place at Eclectic Gallery in Waterloo, and they're on the second Monday of every month. Right, my name's Jason, and um, <clears throat> I do a bunch of things. At a CV level, I'm a carer, which sounds great, doesn't it? I care. The government pays me to care. You are very caring. I'm a very caring person. <laughs> and that's just my sort of secret identity. That's the Clark Kent, that's the cover story. Behind that, I, my real work, I write this endless sequence of unpublishable, unreadable novels. And I'm also a, an occasional youth worker, which sort of keeps me you know, engaged in the community, keeps me on my toes. And a few years back, on top of all that, on top of all that I wrote some poems by mistake. And these poems are really like, insistent. Like, normally if you write something, you know, it's ink on paper, you put it aside, write the next thing. But these, these poems really wanted to be spoken, they wanted to be recited. So I felt compelled to go to a poetry night, which I generally resented the idea of. I had real preconceptions about what poetry would be, what poetry audiences would be. And I was completely wrong, it was a real revelation. So that was, I think, four years ago. And since then, I've just been doing constant poetry. My life is poetry now, <laughs> when I'm not caring. <laughs> um, so um, I'm Tom. And um, I guess I'm a poet, um, a reluctant one and an accidental one. Um, I started writing um, about when I was 15 and then gave it up for a number of years and then went to Poetry Unplugged. Um, back in the days when Niall was really drunk when he used to host, which is no longer the case. Um, <laughs> um, and I think it was this drunken atmosphere that I found a kind of home and started to write and started to take it a bit more seriously. Um, and then for the last four years or so, I've been studying at the poetry school and running numerous nights. Right. Um, great. Thanks. Okay. So as I said, you all have um, fairly unusual performance styles, um, as we'll hear later. Um, I was wondering how you um, came to your manner of delivery. Um, I can begin again. Um, mine was completely by accident. I mean, I'm the most recent to performance poetry out of the three of us. I started, um, my first reading was May the 3rd, uh, 2014, so like six months or so. Um, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do other than to read a poem in front of people and I shit myself so much that I couldn't almost couldn't finish the first poem I don't remember the second poem I read and then the second reading that I did um, I, I went into like a defence mode and I became almost unbearably aggressive and sort of <laughs> like sort of um, 
and physically attack the, the audience, but I went at them, certainly. And my, I've toned it down a lot since then, but the, yeah, so it wasn't really so much, a, at the beginning it wasn't a conscious decision. I wasn't thinking about performance styles. I was just thinking, how the fuck do I get through this poem without cracking up? Because obviously, quite often, I think a lot of us start by writing quite emotional poems because that's where a lot of these feelings are coming from. And then to read them to a room of strangers is pretty terrifying. Um, uh, yeah, so that's sort of how it came about first. I've, I think then it developed into actually thinking, well, why am I being defensive or aggressive? And actually trying to... I found the best way to be defensive was to sort of try and take on a character. I don't know how Jason and Tom feel about that aspect, about assuming a character while you're performing, which I definitely do. It's never, it very rarely me that's on stage in that sense. Um, but at the same time, it's not acting. Um, but maybe we can get into that later. But um, to the old Stuart Lee defence. Um, I, I probably would um, quote Stuart Lee on every one of these answers, if possible, <laughs> because I do agree with a lot that he says. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I do. I, I take a lot of um, a lot of my influence from stand-up com- comedy in that you can play yourself, but just an exaggerated version, and it sort of gives you a a bit of a shield from criticism and I'm happy to admit that it's just through fear of criticism that you develop that shield in the first place but it can be quite useful as well you know um, yeah so as I said I've written some poems that I felt obligated to perform I went along to what I was told had an open mic section I had them written down some paper I was going to read out these words I thought that'd be it and I could never have to think about poetry again I went there there wasn't an open mic section so I just had to sit and listen and it was an amazing experience I was really blown away by the quality and the intensity and I felt like I really knew that I so I wanted to, to do more of and I wanted to t- take it seriously so it was a matter of memorising these poems treating it as you would have a song or an acting thing and just yeah have it in your head rather than reading off paper so there was this process of doing that of reading them reading them reading them getting them in your head and then one day you know the paper was down and I was my hands were by my side. I was reading out this poem, my hands were by my side, I was standing still, and it's just completely unnatural. So I was like, okay, what are my hands actually do- doing? What are my legs doing? What are my head doing? So I sort of, yeah, just, it just felt natural. For the benefit of the listening audience, Jason is flailing. Yes. Yes, I think my performance style, I mean, you talk about a persona on stage. I sort of exaggerate myself. I'm not myself on, well, I am myself on stage, but I'm a more more myself I'm more frenetic it's, it's an ex- exaggeration it, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's not a character as such actually, the point you just made is actually something that I, I forgot to mention there is one one thing that I found very useful was in my second reading as a defence mechanism I picked up the microphone and faced the back wall and I did the whole poem and I didn't look at the audience once and when I came off someone said to me I really like your performance style <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been doing that for and I said well three and a half minutes <laughs> but it's I, I found I'm probably similar to Jason here I become re- I feel too restricted almost to read if I don't move mm, and I yes. think that's where we have a lot of similarities we both yeah. move around a lot but in different ways but I can't stand still and stand at the mic I, I hate no it. I think for me poetry and performance po- poetry are the same thing it is a performance you're gonna it isn't just the word it isn't just the sound of the words these are very important thing I, I love the process of poetry from the beginning from that spark mm. of inspiration through the craft in the poem through the memorizing it but it's about being being there being watched and being moving being related to it at every level yeah, at a yeah. physical level so yeah that's my performance style it's, it's just comes natural really it is it isn't natural just to stand there Blah, 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 blah. It's much more natural. <laughs> 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 
Um, I, I think my performance style has kind of changed as much as my poetry has um, over the years. Um, so to begin with, I moved around a lot, particularly my hands. Um, and I would overemphasize words as well, a lot. Um, and I've, I've come to care less and less about performance and more to do with what poems I'm reading and what the structure of those poems are. And I like the poems to kind of interrelate with each other. Um, so images will kind of reoccur between poems to create the kind of idea of a narrative is taking place. Um, even if that narrative isn't that clear in terms of, of a kind of beginning, middle and an end. Mm. Uh, I prefer circles to lines. Um, that's an interesting point, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how, how, how do you go about putting a set together? Because obviously that's a sort of different thing than just having a poem. Um, I, can, I can begin. <laughs> my my, my answer is quite short, and um, I haven't worked out how to do that yet. I, I think I'm terrible at putting sets together. But it's mainly because what I write just about everything that I would be interested in performing in front of an audience nearly every piece needs to come at the beginning of the set um, because a lot of what I do is based around the fact that people don't really know what's happening at the beginning I'm either like facing away or like I seem to seem to be falling apart in front of people um, you can't do one of those poems and then do a second one straight afterwards because it just seems a bit ridiculous because once you take away that element of surprise or confusion it sort of loses its uh, meaning anyway um yeah so I, I struggle personally with one thing i will say is that i i do admire people when they put a set together properly because it makes you can really tell they've put a lot of thought into it but at the same time i find it very odd when people have got a set so worked out they've even got the links in between, mm -hmm. you know, it's all scripted. Yeah. I found that very, very odd. Um, You've got sort of patter. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's a strange thing to watch. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it is odd. I think because it's just so, it's just the opposite of how I work. It for, just seems for for me, it takes it too much into theatre. Yes, I think no, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't really see a problem with going too far into theatre, personally. But in terms of putting a set together, I don't know there are different ways to approach that. One is just to think of the audience. And, you know, there are, there are places where certain poems you just know aren't going to be appreciated and somewhere there's a certain mood where you want to establish. We go the other way. One thing I like to do is just write down all the names of my poems on bits of cardboard or paper and just put them in a hat and just, okay, my next poem is going to be, oh, this one. And just completely randomise the set. But then, but then it isn't random, is it? Like, I know it's chance which one comes out, mm. but the set isn't random the sets a conceived idea isn't it like th that you're going to pull things out of a bit like you've you've designed the set you don't know what's happening in the set but you've you have designed what's well gonna, i mean if you've got happen. like you two hours I mean? of poems but you've only got a 10 minute set then it's completely no 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 what, not, i don't mean it's not random which poems come out but you have planned what's going to happen for the whole time you're on stage you've you've planned that whole set out haven't you or is that mm, not i don't think so because there are many more poems that you could be doing that you won't be doing and therefore it's no, it's. I don't think it is planned. Okay. There's, you know, you're not making it up as you go along. There's some sort of planning in there, but it's the order, the specific poems. That's completely open. 
But I think this this idea is quite interesting. This idea of improvisation and different levels of improvisation, mm. and how you can have a certain amount of planning but improvise within a framework. And that's what I mean. You're improvising within quite a strict framework, then, which and that framework may only be that you're on stage for ten minutes, right? Mm. And that you say hello. I've got a bag full of poems, mm-hmm. right? But it is a framework, and yeah. then you have to end and say goodbye, even if goodbye is stopping and just walking off. Is, isn't know? that true for all improvisation, though? That actually, what what is done in improvisation is that you develop a structure. So the structure of what you're saying is mm-hmm. that you have the bag with the poems in, but you don't know what poems are going to come out when, which kind of surprises you as mm-hmm. much as it surprises the audience, which creates a kind of genuine response between the two of you. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think that's really kind of interesting, and I can't do the same set twice. Yeah, yeah. I can't, like, I'll, I'll arrange a series of poems and maybe I've got two gigs one night and then the day after. Mm. If I do the same set twice, it's kind of like I'm trying to relive the one that happened earlier. Yeah. And that, for me, never, ever works. Mm. That I, I have to have... There has to be a certain element of spontaneity in it. Yeah. And I think it's less so uh, than you, Jason. But... In the order of the poems, in changing the orders around and in introducing a different poem and taking one out, then the way I structure the set gives voice to new ideas that I hadn't kind of previously thought of or hadn't previously developed. And that's kind of what I'm aiming for. And I think um, the more I kind of do it, the less kind of obviously spontaneous it is. That now I don't really think about, oh, um, you know, I need to say something funny here, or I need to be, you know, do something a little spontaneous here. I don't, I don't kind of have those thoughts anymore, because they're kind of distracting me from actually reading the poems, yeah. and then kind of just working out what's the next bit. Mm-hmm. So then a thought will pop into my head, and I think, oh, yeah, that's what I should say here. And I think that is what makes a poetry reading interesting, both for the poet and for the audience, is when those flashes come out of seemingly nowhere, but is somehow embodied in the material you're working with. This poem is called Our Death. Our Death. Night rain taps harshly against the house, windows stream. You smile with white teeth, mine golden. You're like an angel, green eyes, pale cheeks, ginger curls. I paint your picture with a glance. Your fingers pull away each layer of my skin to know the ether of the bone. My hands claw into your body to see bitter, bright galaxies. It's still raining. Our death, teeth glitter in the empty space. Did you you're saying you improvise within your poems? You've got a basic poem worked out, but you improvise within that, like you do, David. Yeah, but I was just about to say that actually because I agree. I don't like doing the same thing t- twice. I mean, I, I would like to have enough time to write enough new poetry to just do a poem and then never no, revisit yeah, it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but what I've started to do is a, a compromise. I found is that I now have started to not write things down. So that I either a forget parts of it when I'm on stage, or b don't worry too much if I want to add something into it. And if should something happen on the night, um, 
you can emphasize it. Like I've got a couple of uh, the, the a piece I did a few uh, a couple of months ago at Spoken Word London, and it was I thought it was quite it was quite sad, quite emotional. And then I did a couple of bits. There's a couple of lines in there, and people start to laugh. And I was like, if that had been a if that had been a written down fixed poem, I probably would have thrown the poem away. I wouldn't have rewritten it. Mm. But I was then able to just leave those lines out mm. the next time I did it, and I could improvise something else within it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I, much less concerned yeah. now with having a fixed set of lines of of, of writing. I, I mean, I I stick to what I've written when I'm reading the poem. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I never learn poems anymore, um, just because I don't have the memory for it. You know, I just can't physically do it and and anymore. And and I think that's a good thing actually, because I'm I'm probably gonna kind of disagree with you mm. two on this. But for me, poetry is a kind of written art form, and actually holding a piece of paper kind of telling the audience that that actually I've spent time on this, I've worked on this, I've edited yeah. this. I think that's crazy. I mean, if you've memorised something, and that's composed the exact same information. does it? crazy is a bit strong. I think I'd hover somewhere in between those two opinions because I really love this whole... If you, you could, I suppose, what we're talking about now, say there's poetry and there's spoken word. I don't think that's no. bollocks but yeah. I mean you could say that but yeah. that sort of seems where the division is between those two opinions mm. but I have things that exist that I will do on stage and I have some of them written down but I also have poems which I won't read out because I don't want to read from the paper mm. and I don't think I could I don't want to be worried about saying them word for word there are certain things that I write that I believe you ha they have to be perfect word for word and I don't think I want to try and remember that because I've messed things up too much or I don't when I'm on stage I, I give up caring about that sort of thing but afterwards I think oh shit I've messed that up or you know well, so I think I have yeah. written poet, the poetry so I have that side of things but also I think we can have both there, there, there are kind of poets who do memorise things um, such as Jason and uh, Mark Waldron always remembers yeah. his poetry when he performs it um, although it's interesting that he wouldn't class himself as a performance poet. Yeah. Um, and I said to him, well, isn't the definition of a performance poet someone who remembers their poetry? Is, isn't that... That's the only kind of real difference I've ever had. How, how old seen. is he? Um, I, d I don't know. He's in his... He's in his 40s. Something like that. Yeah, that's why yeah. he hates the term. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, no, because uh, we, um, we've spoken about this, um, uh, Paul and I, about... The the um, the idea of the phrase uh, performance mm. poet to those that were involved with uh, poetry in the nineties, it became like they there are a lot of people that believe the performance poetry thing nearly destroyed what was happening in, in the open mic because it became it just became a lot of actors coming down and not really caring about the writing, and I think so there are certain people who believe that if you claim you're a performance poet, it means you don't really care about the writing, which is uh, but for I think for us. I don't think any of even no. of us believe that. You know? I, I don't. I don't think that's true no. anymore. No, I no. think. I think. But apparently, the appropriate term is spoken word eyes, oh, which just sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the problem with spoken word is it doesn't really say anything, and I mean, who who are you classifying as a spoken word artist yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. I I I don't think 
actually, I I would, if if, if I would actually differentiate spoken word from poetry. I think they they are kind of two two separate things, um, which is, and both of them have their own rules and their own way of crafting and their own way of working. Um, I think there there are a few poets who kind of blurring that. Kate Tempest being the obvious example. Mm. Um, but I, 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 and um, uh, Dean Atter as well. He, he would be another another example. Actually, I'm just contradicting myself. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, they're 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 actually exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> <laughs> we're on. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, you you um, you're saying that. Um, the um, definition of performance poet would be someone who memorises, but I mean, surely anyone who gets up on stage and reads is performing. I mean, yeah, you do consider yourself to be com um, performing, do you? I, I think less and less so. I think I'm more interested in just standing up and reading the poems now. Um, I think a part of that is that my influences have changed recently as well. And I'm doing different kind of gigs where they actually want to hear the poetry rather than me m mumbling on about something. Um, I think the whole problem with performance in poetry is that I think the generally conceived view is you're, you're, you either emphasise the performance or you emphasise the poetry. And if you're a poet reading, the po the poetry is the important bit. That's what's been crafted, and the performance is a kind of thing you're kind of just having to do to sell books or something. Where the reverse is true with a performance poet, that the performance is what is important, and the poetry is just kind of what you have to do to get the gig. And I, I don't think that's true, and I think that's... I think if you just kind of ignore both of those things, if you just take the, both of them away and just say, actually, it's the guy standing there speaking. Now, is what he doing by doing that interesting? I think, David, that's the kind of weird thing you play with as well. You know, are you just some guy standing up there speaking to us? Yeah, I mean, I, and that, so, I really, some, really, sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and it seems like you're speaking more to yourself than it does to us, which actually I, I love, and I think that's a really interesting thing yeah, to yeah. do as well. Um, I think it's probably something we're going to come on to later, but I, I think it's that came out of like a sort of um, defensive thing as well. I thought, well, if I just tell this story to myself, then it doesn't, you know, they're not really there. But of course they are, and then you come back to that. Then it can sound quite pretentious, you know, because you know they're there, and pretending they're not is a bit ridiculous. But just a quick point about what you were saying earlier, but just, or just now, I think people should be allowed to get up and recite their poetry and not be, not have people claiming they're performing, because some people don't want to perform. Some people do just want to get up and recite poetry, and there is a difference between, even though you might be doing the same thing by standing at a microphone and reading a poem I think there's a, a vital difference in letting people just go up because I think some people the, the danger is I mean most of us here are big fans of like the, the more interesting the performance the better but it doesn't I don't think it's fair that certain people get feel that they're judged by audiences in 
their lack of performance ability. Do you know what I mean? Which is the danger of this kind of discussion because you're making the performance side of it seem more important than it maybe is. Well, um, the, 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 um, the counterpoint to that is that you know you are in front of an audience, mm. and the audience is there for a reason. Yeah, to, um, to, to wait for their five minutes of open mic. <laughs> <laughs> at, 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 at some nights, yeah, um, but 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 not in all cases. No, um, Sometimes they're reviewing it for Luna poetry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so watch out. <laughs> my orange book at the back of the room. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the the audience is there, and presumably, um, you know, pre- the, the audience is there, and presumably, you do want them to have a good time. Is that my responsibility, though? I'm not so sure it is. I'm not. See, um, I think this is where the whole phrase um, the audience is irrelevant kind of came out of. Um, And it's not that they aren't relevant, but it was more of a kind of response to certain poets who want to stand up and please the audience for their their applause. And I, I don't think that's that makes interesting poetry, nor does it make an interesting performance. The what if Shakespeare had done that? Hamlet would have been, you know, no one would have died, everyone would have gone home happy. And, and, and... We wouldn't um, have the Lion King. Yeah, and we wouldn't have the Lion King, which which is much better than Hamlet. <laughs> well, yeah, but on the other hand, Shakespeare did some plenty of plays where that basically is what happens. You know, the comedies that, you know, are comedies. Yeah, but are they ever performed? What's performed? Yeah. Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet. The ones with the death at the end are <laughs> the ones that are performed. Yeah. But I don't... I, I think the, the kind of issue that... If, if you're doing that, what makes it different from just watching a soap opera or, you know, a, a comedy on TV? I mean, I think poetry needs to be a bit more challenging. And I Sorry, that was sort of the point I was trying to make about people feeling like they have to perform, right? If you say to people you can just recite, because this, I mean, this, this is a firm opinion of mine, which a lot of people might disagree with, but... As soon as you tell people that they're expected to perform, most people will try and please the audience. And Mm. then I think when people feel they have to perform, then they get into this habit of trying to, they they choose, their writing style changes, their performance style changes. And then you end up with this really dull succession of crap, you know, and Mm. it is... And it's not because they have a lack of writing ability or or a lack of performance ability as such. It's just most people will feel will feel well if I have to perform, then people should be smiling, they should be laughing, they should be clapping, which is what I think us three feel strongly. Mm. Why, you know, why should they be smiling and clapping? But because is there that conception? I mean, people, they, you know, most open mic nights seem to just be, you know, you've got your three minutes, your five minutes. There's a microphone. If, if you want to stand there with a piece of paper, do that. If you want to prance about, do that. I don't. Is there any pressure to perform? I haven't really. I mean, it might be. I think um, so. No, yeah. because it's not, perhaps not in the poetry. It's the jokes in between. You know, you can see how people feel. You can see people trying to ingratiate themselves with audiences, and it's the aside. It's not always the poetry. The poetry is as depressing as everyone else's poetry, mm. but there are a lot of, jo- you know, I mean, one one thing that we certainly don't do is, is 
well, Tom makes some jokes, but they clearly aren't funny, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but you do, you must have seen it yourself. There are a lot of people that stand up and they're sort of, they're, I mean, it's not just because they're involved in poetry. Most people that stand up in front of groups of people will make jokes because they don't want people to look you, at them mortified. You know? I, I used to do a thing where I would tell a joke that was deliberately unfunny and say, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a comedian. I'm not here to make <laughs> yeah. you laugh. So the fact that joke didn't make you laugh yeah, yeah, yeah. is the only response <laughs> I wanted from you. Actually, one, um, one of my um, earliest memories from starting, I mean, it's not that long ago, but I think when I came to, uh, when you were still doing Unmade Bed, and I think that was the yeah. first time I saw, saw you host, and what was the, you used to say that line all the time, um, if anyone tried to join in with your sides, because you used to do sides towards the audience, yeah. but if anyone dared answer, like, this is not for you, this is not for you, this is not for you, and I quite like that, you know, it's just, you, you may as well, you, it's nice to give the impression that everyone could leave and it would still carry on, yeah. of course it wouldn't, but it's nice to give that impression. I mean. Well, I, that's my dream really, is just to perform to an empty room. Yeah. Uh, that's actually what I want. But but on, only because I know I would perform better then, because I wouldn't have the anxiety sure, of yeah, the yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what, actually that's what makes standing up in front of people interesting, is that it kind of induces a kind of mini trance in, in my being. Mm. And then other stuff will start to happen. So someone might shout something out from the audience, yeah. or or I might be reading a poem and a thought suddenly flashes into my mind, or or you you, you know I start to realise a link between a poem, which then I can start to play with, yeah. with the audience. So the audience are there as as a kind of you know they're they're the people I'm playing with. They're 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 kind of like the other children in the playground and that for that five minutes or whatever it is the attention is focused on me but my attention is focused on them yeah, yeah. and it's that dynamic that makes it interesting yeah, yeah so you are to some extent still looking for a reaction from the audience i mean one thing i was thinking when um, you were talking about uh, using humor is um one thing that's often difficult with poetry is gauging the reaction of the of the audience if they're laughing, then you know that they're responding to what you're saying. If you're doing a serious poem, you've not really got any idea whether it's gone across well or not, because obviously people clap politely at the end, whatever. Um, but yeah, so talking about um, audience participation, um, I mean, is this something to be encouraged? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I was thinking because um, I, um, in a lot of your um, in a lot of your readings, you do seem to invite it. Um, partly the way you present your work and the sort of pauses and the kind of little preamble to that, you know, whether you consciously invite it or not, it often seems to happen. I think I think I I I actually like reactions from the audience and. I too, and I do deliberately provoke the audience in certain moments, and I I think um, one one of the influences um, that's already been mentioned is Stuart Lee, and kind of uh, in in his book, which name I have forgotten now, he talks about um, 
you know, dividing the audience up into different sections. Yeah. Those who those who get what's happening, mm. those who are unsure, and those who couldn't care less and yeah. thinking about sheep or whatever. <laughs> and I, I think that is kind of true at a poetry reading as well. And I think I think he does that to kind of actually bring the audience together for the punchline. Mm. You, you 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 know that he's kind of he's stirring you all up to actually kind of hate him or 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 or, or to like him or not to know whether you like him or yeah. hate him which then makes him vulnerable and that it can give you that unexpected line and i think that's an interesting thing to do in poetry but i don't think i don't think i think about things like that anymore i wouldn't like deliberately try to provoke the audience in the way I would have done a year ago. Yeah. I think I, I much prefer the poem to do the work. And and whether the audience gets it or not, well, I, I wouldn't know how to judge that. I mean, if they laugh or clap or whatever, that's, that's an interesting response, but it doesn't kind of actually uncover anything that's gone on beneath the surface. And I find that more interesting. And that will play out in different ways, you know, usually more after the reading than during it. Mm. And I think that's, and, and the job of the performer is just to hold that, even if they don't know what's really there to hold. Right, this is called Words for Catherine by Jason Pilly. An actual love riot breaks out. Charity gangs throw hard cash up and down the mobbed streets. Cackling balaclavered grannies push each other in shopping trolleys past the flames. London burns with mad passions. New angel terrorists attack the florists with flowers. Attack the banks and coffee buzz shops with flowers. Attack and the police bring tea and lovely biscuits. It's all getting too wildly nice for me. You tug us from the throbbing crowd. In the skate park you borrow my bike and get a puncture But it's one of those punctures that fixes itself Down by the canal every subculture wants to claim you We all end up back at some stranger strangers room Rachel's room in a squat I've never been in a squat before All oh, the places that you've played And all oh, the plays that please the place And all oh, the saves that save the grace The grace the grade as you have saved And all oh, the teachers you have taught And all oh, your thoughts that wrought the right All oh, the night to light your light And all oh, the fun wars you have fought Queen of anywhere she wants to be queen she arrives to the party late and leaves early to arrive late somewhere else. This party is anti-everything. There's a guest list, but you're only allowed in if your name's not on it. And the freebase alpha methyl tryptamine goes metallic down our throat. A metal slippery slide throat stuck nice down our throat. Quick slivers of our throat becoming colours up our throat and out of our eyes. The colours are like in the earliest computer games. And... <sighs> And even in your knees are uh, puking into the toilet. You're beautiful and the colours are still coming. Oh, the test you put things to and all oh, your news that knows no less. Oh, the face all saints love best to bless the doors that you got through. And all oh, the birds of prey you've been and all oh, the scenes that you have sound. All oh, the sounds that up the down to sing the sounds that you have seen. She makes movies and doesn't bother to film them. We're all in her movie. And this could turn out to be one of those nights where everyone goes home with 50 grand in their pocket. Queen Pirate, Our Lady of the Bang the Drum, Bang 
the drum Bang the fucking drum for us Make us real Midwife my imaginary friends and silly stories into being Just by their names she always knows which horse is gonna win its race She lives in a warship She lives in an art installation The water is simultaneously hot and cold She lives in a more or less decommissioned power plant She lives under a bridge God forgives only those who trespass She lives in a derelict planetarium She lives in your house when you're out And you don't even know Life is fizz or it's no 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 nothing at all. We find a whole new way to make shapes. The drugs always end up getting knocked onto the carpet. Oh the muddles that you've meddled, all the all the all the all to make our empties full of all the medals that you've muddled, all the medals that you've muddled, all the all the none the none, all the muddles that you've won to all the middles that you've meddled, all the 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 all
to you know because I think it's pretty much what everyone's searching for is to have that moment where you've really t- connected with someone but then I started toying with the idea that um, it might be nice because I speak Norwegian I've lived in Norway for five years actually the idea was to do a poem quite a funny poem hopefully in Norwegian have one Norwegian speaker in the audience and have them laughing at the poem and no one else <laughs> understanding what was going on and um, I never got around to writing it plus like, getting the, the Norwegian in the audience and then I thought actually it would be funny to have two people but have them separate in separate places so these two people laughing randomly um, and I was at a, a, a night called Paper Tiger in Kennington a couple of weeks ago and I did an improvised piece which just started to come within 30 seconds just unraveled mm-hmm. completely and but I quite enjoy that because I just I, there are certain people in the audience that I know quite well and they know it's unraveling and then mm-hmm. you can see them sort of laughing and it becomes a, a challenge to finish the set without falling apart in front of people you know and I thought no this is the time I'm going to go into Norwegian <laughs> so I just started talking Norwegian and um just this guy who was sitting at the back answered. <laughs> but I wasn't asking any questions. And really weirdly, he just kept saying to me over and over, are you Norwegian? Are you Norwegian? So I, so this whole interaction between he and I happened in... Actually, mine was broken Norwegian and his was broken Danish. But I was trying to explain to him that, no, I'm English, but I speak Norwegian. Um, could we please chat afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of doing something. And he just didn't... Like, why he thought I was just standing on stage hoping that someone could speak Norwegian to me. But it really... But actually, it made the whole thing better because prior to that, people just assumed I was talking gibberish. But once there was a conversation going on, then there's something happening, which is what I wanted to do with the laughter, you see, is where there's a dialogue going on between two people and the rest of the audience are missing out. Mm. Um, which actually comes back to another piece that I do, which is based on the, the one side of a telephone call. Mm. Um, my, my my question mm. is about that would be: Would you classify that as poetry? And no, how, I don't really classify you... anything that I do as poetry. To be honest mm. with you, but I, I I would go and I don't know. I I understand what people mean about um, spoken word being too open a term, but it's easier for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I write poetry. Yeah, but when I'm on stage, it's usually looser than that. I just, know. for me personally, the word poetry, I can just have a wide enough conception of poetry that yeah, what yeah. you do is poetry. If someone gets up there and just I don't know, blows bubbles for three minutes, yeah, no, that that, no, but that's cool, the thing. Cool, that's if if I was to go up and do a five-minute piece, and Tom thought it wasn't poetry, and Jason thought it was poetry, that's fine. Well, I don't really care yeah, what people no, think about it. Yeah, as long as I get to do what I do, the yeah. word well, is. because the focus was still on language, and it was about how people were responding to that yeah. language, then it still has the dynamics of a poem in it. I mean, I hope that what I say, even though... I, even when it appears that I'm completely rambling, I hope there are there are elements that are poetry within, within mm. what I say, because a lot of what, what I improvise references stuff that I've written before. You know, things come up from short stories or from... Um, from poems and I think I hope that I write enough so that when I'm actually improvising that's what's coming out anyway you know for me writing prose and poetry the difference is there's a voice so it's like I said before that with prose with stories or essays whatever you write it down and it's, it's 
this, this, it's ink on paper. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know something's it's a poem because it starts coming out, it's a sound, it's something that needs to be okay, spoken. Yeah, yeah. So for me, yeah, poetry and spoken word, I don't have any, there's the same thing to me. I mean, and the difference is, I think what I'm improvising on stage, if you wrote that down and tried to give it to someone as prose, it would be nonsensical, it wouldn't make yeah. any, there's, there's no coherence to it. But you could say, well, that's maybe a slightly um, strange poem and people will go, yeah. I, I don't okay. like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, one last thing before we get into the final questions, then yeah. um, just um, uh, like we were talking the other night, Jason, you were saying, and I was saying um, that I thought there were certain similarities between the three of you, and you couldn't really see it. But I think one of the things is that all of your um, performances have the potential to make the audience uncomfortable. Um, how do you feel about that? Who wants to go first? Hey, you can make people uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm really good at it. Um, I don't know. I I really like the idea of making people feel uncomfortable. In that, it it sets it it gives you much more leeway to go in different directions afterwards, and then you have that element, and it does sort of like. I mean, I don't want to keep referring to the the same man we keep saying his name but the comedian <laughs> yeah. um, but not, not just him but it's um, I think the reason people shit. refer to him so much is because he writes about the yeah. theory behind what he does yeah. and I think what he writes about applies to a lot of stand-up comedians but this idea of a most of what I do is a terrible joke it's the same <laughs> setup and but the punchline is awful you know but it still works and it's got the same arc but if you start with um the audience being uncomfortable I think it gives you more space to take them on a different um, it's going to sound very excellent but take them on a journey <laughs> <laughs> come with me <laughs> I'm going to be horrible too <laughs> it's come with me I'm gonna, it's going to be awful <laughs> do I make people uncomfortable in my performance um, they're quite loud yeah but they, they can handle it can't they yeah, I mean, there are specific poems I do that, yeah, certainly there's some that are very much getting in people's faces and some that are hysterical shrieks of... I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm looking to make people feel uncomfortable. I think that has actually thrown me. I don't really... What, what do you mean by that? Well, right, apart um, from being a bit loud at times. Well, um, I, you, um, yeah. Well, so, you, yeah. yeah, I mean, your your style is, is um, I mean, as you're saying, is very energetic. It's very kind of um, physical, um, and it's not the norm for you know most poetry nights. And so, uh, I would say that the reactions that people have to you are possibly not the same as well I don't know um, I, I could think, be coloured by that kind of thing I think maybe what makes people uncomfortable is they don't know what's coming you know like people people seeing you for the first time may think shit <laughs> <laughs> who let him in you know like, but, and which is a great thing I think you know I mean that's I think that's why like the people certainly sitting around this table admire what you do but I think you, you know, people don't, you know, if they come to a poetry night and then you're flailing around and screaming into a microphone, <laughs> or, you know, but it's the same thing like we're, Paul and I have talked about this whole idea of being intense performers, and I think it's a really lazy phrase because it doesn't, one, it doesn't mean anything because no. because it allows people to say that I'm intense and you're intense, and somehow that makes us the same, but it, of course it doesn't because we don't do the same thing. No, but, but intensity doesn't necessarily imply similarity. Yeah, we both have an energy yeah. that is. 
it's quite a but I don't, I, I don't. But you do the same thing as me. So you cross that boundary. You got you walk past a microphone, and if you walk past a microphone, people shit themselves. If they if they're not used to watching you, if you, the, people are fine because they, that microphone is a barrier between you and them. And as soon as you walk around, it, people don't know what's going on. You know. I mean, I, I haven't felt that. I felt more curiosity than uncomfort. More kind of. I should have just left that sentence where it was. Yeah, more curiosity <laughs> than discomfort. Yeah. Well, um, I was also thinking about, um, I think the first time I saw you was when you did the um, piece with Sean Wai Kyung, um, sort of, where you basically end up wrestling with each other. Um, and, you know, that, 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 um, but you're, you're, you're both um, doing poems simultaneously. Yeah, and I challenge sort of him fighting. to a poetry duel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you're sort of fighting for the mic and... Um, you know, it's it's a very sort of physical um, piece. And I jump in as well. Before another collaboration, me and Stephanie did as well. Beforehand, we got a member of the audience. We did ask them. We thought about not asking, just grabbing someone. <laughs> and yeah, just got them on stage, gagged them, put a gag around the mouth, and just spent three minutes, four minutes pointing water pistols, and they were empty water pistols. And yeah, and just screaming our poetic manifesto at them. So I suppose that could be quite uncomfortable for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> but again, there's more of a kind of. WTF kind of thing what the fuck kind of rather than an actual and I don't think anyone really I don't think I, mean, anyone... I think if you because um, I was at the same line at Jordan's and um, uh, I think what I did maybe put, put people on the back foot a little bit there as well because I was down in the yeah. audience but I think if you'd have done that what you did with Sean if you'd have been on a smaller stage it would have been much more intimidating I think people were able to enjoy what you did because you were removed is very, yeah. you were on a proper Proper stage, mm. which you don't often get with open mic. No, nah, Rich Mix is amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, ah. try it somewhere else. No. I, I challenge you to a poetry duel. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> we might clear the place. <laughs> I dreamt years ago that enough of me would drain away that I would shrink, shrink down small enough to fit into your breast pocket. Only. You weren't you then, and that wasn't your pocket. You said that your only regret was you'd never told me how you really felt. You weren't the only one there. I could never find the words to tell you that that was your pocket. It always was my goal, my destination, to be cradled up in your permanently cold fingers, deposited against the warmth of your chest home um i i think i'm a lot more i i think for i i got very much into the french um kind of theater um theorist arto and his theater of cruelty um and i did try to kind of implement some of his kind of thinking into poetry you know how how intense could I make mm-hmm. my poetry and the experience of listening to it? Um, how how much could I kind of draw out of the audience that would make them feel uncomfortable about mm-hmm. being in that room with me? Um, and I, I I don't think I'm that interested in it anymore. Actually, I mean I'm 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 very interested in performers who kind of make that happen, such as yourself, David. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm no longer kind of interested in trying to provoke a specific reaction. I'm much more. Um, I think. 
I think I'm interested in generating a certain intensity in my performance for myself and then how that relates to the audience I'm not I'm not concerned with the one thing I would say though is that Arto always emphasized humor he said humor was the kind of key to the theater of cruelty and I think that's a really kind of interesting idea and what does humor and intensity bring out apart from vulnerability and I think um for a performer that that is the kind of key for me is when i'm writing my po when when i'm performing my poetry and when i'm writing it i have to be somewhat vulnerable for, for you know, something, something to I work i completely agree with you because um I've, I've been striving towards some level of intensity um and some provocation of the audience since i started writing and performing but i've since discovered that the performances go down there's a much better reaction in terms of me getting having a connection with the audience if i'm vulnerable in the piece mm. as well you just said something about being not concerned with the audience so much but what is you like what primarily do you want from an audience or do you really like just not care um i, I i'm i'm not looking for a specific thing from the audience i don't think i'm not looking or their love or their hate or anything like that um i i do like it when they listen um, <laughs> apart from that that's the only kind of real criteria and then and i i want i want the audience to make up their own minds about what's going on and that's one problem i have um with some poets is that they want they want to show themselves through the poem to be a good person or or yeah. to to be a charitable person or kind of very kind of neoliberal kind of almost hipsterish kind of personas and i i think i think actually that that is putting on a kind of mask mm. Well, yeah, the no, audience, I, 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 and that's I, that's the problem I would have. Yeah. Or even like the, there's quite a well-known poet who's been kicked out of um, the poetry cafe now. He used to really want to make the audience hate him, and that too is a kind of mask. You know, mm. you're trying to provoke a specific mm. thing to confirm, you know, what yeah. what you you want to believe about because yourself. Because you become a caricature, don't you? That's yeah. the problem. Sorry, I was just going to say, well, yeah, but you can say that about vulnerability as well. I mean, earlier on when we were talking about humour, you said that's a way of ingratiating yourself with the audience, but so is coming across as vulnerable. You know, um, but please, then, please love me, I'm a, yeah, a shy, I'm a delicate flower, yeah. Um, but then isn't... Is no, I, more, I would is, like it yeah. more to, to saying, I've done this, this is awful, I've thought these things, but I'm just the same as you. I think really it's not... Because the vulnerability is not facade, is it? That's, that's the difference. It shouldn't be. It can be, of course. But I don't think it is as much. The way I think what Tom's talking about is not. It's, it's not like a switch and click on, now I'm going to be vulnerable. No, exactly. That's what, yeah. I think what, what it is that... Or would you um, say it's more honesty than vulnerability? Is that what you're trying to show? You're trying to be a bit more honest about your character rather than... Well, it is about being a bit more honest about myself. Yeah. And, and even... You know, my my poetry isn't autobiographical, but it's it's about you know those images 
somehow relating to me and that connection isn't always that clear to me either so when I get on the stage and I perform those poems you know those little connections start to make more sense to me and and the next time I'll do it those connections make sense in a slightly different way so it's like it's like looking at a part of yourself in so many different ways that I somehow um, either recognize myself more or less. And that's, it's that kind of tension that then opens m- me up to some kind of vulnerability. My grammar was awful in that sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My poems, I think, I hope don't say anything about me as a person. I don't want people to know anything like, like a factual level about me through my poetry. But I suppose I would like my audiences to be curious about me afterwards and to... I mean, I'm very aware that I think in the last four years, every single kind of social thing that's happened to me ever has been through the poetry scene. So like, it's my entire poetry, my social life. So I think I'm very aware of an audience in that sense, that, yeah, there are potential friends, potential allies. I want everyone to fall madly in love with me and join my gang, join my cult. Well, I think that's, the, for me that's I think something we can all agree. The best <laughs> kind of audiences are the ones that shut the fuck up when you're reading and then come and tell you how brilliant you are afterwards. Oh, that's yeah, pretty no, nearly yeah, yeah, the best yeah, yeah. It's not enough just to tell you how brilliant you are. <laughs> Show, don't tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we'll have to wrap up now. Um, so um, two quick questions. Um, what would you say your um, um, uh, primary influences are and do you have any recommendations, not necessarily poetry, but um, any recommendations for our listeners? Uh, I think influence is hard because every poem obviously is coming from a different place, um, especially from the writing. I mean, I've got some. Po- I noticed that a lot of my poems, the way I sometimes approach an idea is that I'll sort of engage with another poet. Like when I was reading a lot of Rumi, I was just amazed by it. I thought I was going to write a poem about the experience of reading Rumi and just this kind of real delirious twirl of imagery and it's kind of simultaneously very religious but also very kind of knowingly, humorously blasphemous and very playful. And another time I just I just thought the idea of a poem called David Bowie would just be great. So I just listened to every single David Bowie album and just sort of let them just take my journeys and just wrote down words. So yeah, and I've done that a lot. I've got a poem about Taliesin and, and the, one, the one I did this year, the, um, the opera poem, was just about immersing myself in opera and just trying to, again, filter that through my own sensibilities and just make something from that. So yeah, it's hard to talk about influences overall, but... Um, so, uh, do you really know Alan Moore? Yeah. Uh, he's an amazing figure throughout my life. Uh, he's not primarily a poet. He's done some poetry. He's done some performance pieces. I saw one in the, the old Vic Tunnels under Waterloo Station. He's this very magical process. Very kind of he does invocations of gods and spirits and stuff. And and yeah, and he's a very sort of very serious, very playful, very magical but very mundane. He's just very committed. Very, yeah, he's an amazing person. I think. I mean, he's a very strong influence in, in trying to... Again, if you listen to his magical performance pieces, they're all about taking maybe an idea or a place. You've got to be into... Um, psy- um, what's it called? Psychogeography? Mm. And yeah, and just the amount you can do just by taking you know a few streets and just like a look at the history of them, the people there, which isn't actually what many of my poems... I've got one. I've got one of my poems was about... There's a ruined castle in South End. And I just went there and I heard someone told me they'd been haunted. No one ever told me that when I was a kid, but just apparently like 50 years ago when people said it was haunted. So I went there once took a load of a drug called AMT and just puked a lot and wrote a ghost about this ghost, wrote a poem about the ghost rather, which yeah, I think engaging with your environment, there's, there's poetry everywhere, you know, every book you read you can get a poem from it, everything you see, everyone you meet, there's poetry everywhere. 
Who next? Yeah, I'll go next. Um, I think, uh, right, um, so one sort of poetry influence um, is it's a poem that I read at secondary school. Uh, I had a really fantastic English teacher, Mr. Partridge, and he was amazing. And I can remember reading with him a poem called Outside the Gates of Eden by John Cotton. And then I, in my early 20s, I managed to find it because it's really, it's not a very well known poem. I don't think John Cotton was that well known. But, um, uh, but it's a fantastic poem. And I actually um, rip it off a lot um, <laughs> without really even thinking about it. But it's just the, the language in it um, and uh, um, yeah, the descriptive language is really cool. But performance style, I've always been really influenced by uh, market traders. And the, the way they, I think it's a very masculine thing. I think it's a working class masculine thing. I'm obviously, I'm, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood was in South London and stuff. And growing up and watching, there's this way that men talk to women when they're trying to buy from their stores, which is really overly, they project more than they need to. They talk over the customers, you know, because they want it's the whole it's the showmanship of the thing, and that I was always fascinated by. And I didn't really understand it until I became older, and then you sort of realise why people do it, you know. Um, and more recently, um, a guy called Spalding Gray, who is right. just a- absolutely insanely fucking brilliant. Um, just how someone can be so engaging by you know, but just normally sitting at a desk and reading from papers which is fantastic I can't recommend highly enough that people check him out on uh, YouTube but I find yeah he's been a big influence and um, I'm really influenced by art a lot mainly painters it's strange I don't really like poetry and I'm heavily involved with poetry <laughs> I don't I don't like painting but my favourite artists are all painters um, uh, three in particular Leon Kossoff um uh, Francis Bacon and uh, Frank Auerbach um, and go, to go on to recommendations Frank Auerbach currently has a, a small collection of paintings shown in Tate, in Tate Britain and next uh, so in the summer 2015 there'll be a, a retrospective major re- retrospective of his work and also um, yeah as recommendations I would say people should get along to like small theatres uh, like, I go a lot to the Oval Playhouse in Kennington and just see, I find it really, really inspiring to watch uh, solo performances, whether it's, you know, theatre or dance, so just the way that people interact with the audiences and um, to see new ways of, I quite, I don't know, there's, there's this mix of, you're quite clearly performing for an audience, but there's a barrier there between, you know, because the audience aren't involved with the story, and that I find interesting as well, you know, you, that idea that you are performing yet, there's this invisible barrier. Um, and a book that I've been reading recently is a collection of short stories by uh, BJ Novak, and it's called One More Thing, and they're absolutely hilarious. They're really good. And very. it's really dark, and just about all of them could be done as like spoken word performance pieces. They're just hilarious. Mm. That's it. Um, influences. Um... Well, Spalding Gray was, uh, I saw him when I was very, very young. Oh, did you? Um, And I had no idea who who he was. Mm. My father took me along to see him, and he was incredible. I don't think I've ever been so enraptured. Like you said, listening to a man sitting behind a desk. Um, 
and I, I still I still kind of remember the actual experience of being there. Um, other influences, um, Nara Sullivan, I would rate as a very high influence on me. Um, Sylvia Plath and a lot of the confessional poets. Um, although the kind of it's more the imagery rather than the confessional aspect that kind of influences me. Um, uh, some performance artists, Franco B. Uh, his last show was absolutely amazing. A lot of it was just him standing there staring at the audience. And you talk about making people uncomfortable, literally just standing there facing the audience for 10 minutes and the nervousness in the room. Um, and uh, though it's never a kind of performance I, I would do, but when he, he did the blood... Um, uh, performance at the Tate, which was his kind of big kind of uh, the one that got his name in the, all the newspaper. I mean, it's it's online; you can watch it. I mean, just the intensity of seeing a man walking up and down, all painted white, with blood coming from um, his body is a kind of mesmerising experience. Um, although a lot, a lot of contemporary poets are influencing me at the moment, Mark, Mark Waldron, Bobby Parker, um, and a lot of American poets like Mattia Harvey and Irina Raines. Um, recommendations: uh, read everything if you got if if you got enough time, or read lunar poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, this has been the Lunar uh, Poetry Podcast. Um, thanks very much to David, Jason, and Tom. Uh, see you next month. Cheers.